It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December, I'm sorry, October 1st. Oh, 2015. Can't jump the gun there. Get ahead of us. Two months ahead of time there. October 1st, 2015. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is back tonight. Dad, welcome back. Jacob, good to be with you. Yeah, good to have you back tonight. And uh, Monty is back again. Monty's just changing seats. Monty moves, moves around all the time. Monty's back behind the boards tonight. Thank you, Monty, for being here. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. Thank you for being on the other end of the line. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And to the chat window, to the bottom of your video feed, you can send your comments there if you're listening to us live on the program tonight. A couple of things to announce before we get to our topic, Jacob. we got a gospel meeting coming up here at yes, College View. just starts two weeks from this Sunday, the, October the 18th. So the week of October 18th, Sunday through Friday the 23rd, uh, we're going to have a gospel meeting here at College View. Different speakers each night. We'll talk more about the speakers as we get a little closer but uh, mark your calendars to see if you can come to our gospel meeting October 18th through 23rd. Uh, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to have you come. Also, the Friday night just before that, Friday night, October 16th, we're going to have a, a singing here at College View, 7 o'clock Friday night, October 16th. Jim Deason, uh, that almost everybody in Middle Tennessee knows. I think he knows everybody in Middle he Tennessee. Does. Probably, he probably does. Okay. But he's a great song leader. He's going to come up from Coleman, Alabama, and lead us in singing on Friday night, okay. October 16th. Okay. So we're going to get those two announced. October 16th and October 18th, Sunday through Friday at yeah. 7 p.m. Exactly right. And if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and worship with us. If you've got questions about that, questions at collegeview.com. Definitely worth your trip. We hope you'll come uh, to those special services. All right, tonight, an interesting topic. Tonight we want to address some things taught by the Catholic Church, specifically some things related to sin, uh, as are taught by the Catholic you, Church. You know, the Pope's been sort of traveling around over the here. Pope, the Pope has just visited the United States, and, of course, a lot of coverage, uh, which I thought was a little bit uh, unusual. Uh, the, the news media just really played that up. Usually they're against anything that pertains to religion at all. Right. Uh, any religion that's related to Christianity, they're against that altogether. But they sure did play up the Pope's visit. Yeah. Uh, and so, but you know, it, I really think the Pope's visit visit was more political than religious anyway, so I suppose the media is into politics. Yeah. Well, um, but, yeah. Um, and uh, Kevin is in the chat room. He comes from a Catholic background, so... Good to have him here. Good. And we've got an email from our friend Jim up in Kentucky, who's also uh, uh, a former Catholic, and he's got us some input to our questions tonight, too. We sent out some questions earlier today to our update list. We'll always remind you, get on our list if you're not. Uh, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, and we will and just put in the subject line, add me to your list. We will do that. On Thursday, you'll get an email from us telling about the topic for discussion that night and asking some questions. Our questions today were these. 
Number one, the Catholic Church teaches the concept of original sin. What is this doctrine, and does it agree with the Bible? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. Number two, the doctrine of original sin is closely related to the doctrine of immaculate conception. Yeah. What is this doctrine, and is it substantiated by the Scriptures? Number three, the doctrine of original sin has led to the practice of infant baptism. Is infant baptism necessary? Is it scriptural? Number four, the Catholic Church teaches there are two types of sin, venial and mortal. Does the Bible support this idea? Yes. And finally, number five, what does the Catholic Church teach about how forgiveness is obtained? All right. I think those are all good subjects to know uh, because... uh, very often we are in the company of those who are members of the Catholic Church, and sometimes we have a chance to talk with them about that. Uh, we need to know what the truth is, be able to share that truth with them, because we think they teach error on the questions that have been raised here. And, but it's, and some of these doctrines aren't limited just to the Catholic Church. Exactly. Especially the idea of original sin and even infant baptism. Many of the mainline Protestant denominations, of course, came out of the Catholic Church and brought some of that stuff with them when they came. Right, and so it's good to understand those and just have an understanding of of where some of these concepts come from because there are some serious ramifications of them. Yeah, yeah All right. I think so. Okay, and it helps us to make sure that what we understand is correct as well, so it never hurts to examine another position to make sure that what you right. believe is That's correct. That's right. We want, to know, we want to know the truth. Right. We, we don't just study these kind of topics so that we can knock heads with another religious yeah. group. We right. want to know what is the truth about this. Yeah. And then if we have a chance to discuss that with others, we will do it. Yeah. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Look forward to hearing from you tonight on the program. All right. The doctrine of original sin. What about what original sin? Yeah, I've got a I've got a, a book here written by a Bishop Morrow. It explains uh, the Catholic doctrine. He is a Catholic, and he's explaining it to those. Uh, and he says that on the the he defi- this describes uh, original sin like this. He asks the question: What happened to us on account of the sin of Adam? He says on the account on, on account of the sin of Adam. We, his descendants, come into the world deprived of sanctifying grace and inherit his punishment as we would have inherited his gifts had he been obedient to God. uh, This sin in us is called original sin. It is the state in which every descendant of Adam comes into the world totally deprived of grace through inheriting the punishment, not of Adam's personal sin, but of his sin as head of the human race. This sin is called original because it comes down to us through our origin, from Adam. Okay, so uh, you see why it's original sin. So Adam sinned, and then therefore that punishment and that sin trickled down, and it, it, it corrupted the entire human race. Yeah. Uh, here's a quote from the Augsburg Confession of Faith back in 1530. Uh, this is this is the Lutheran creed. Mm-hmm. But as we said, most of those mainline Protestant denominations brought these doctrines with it's them. It's a when very they, pervasive When doctrine. they came out of, mm-hmm. of, of Catholicism. Calvin brought it into his uh, tenets of uh, Calvinism as well. So here's what the Augsburg Confession of Faith says. All men born according to nature are born with sin. That is, without the fear of God, without confidence toward God, and with concupiscence. And that this original disease or flaw is truly a sin, bringing condemnation and also eternal death to those who are not reborn through baptism and the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, again, the idea is, here's a newborn baby, just moments old, a lost sinner. Yeah. Right there. Right. 
because of original sin. Yes. Uh, uh, and so what? What is? That's what they teach. Now that's what we ask. What does the Catholic Church teach about original sin? That's what the doctrine is. Does it agree with the Bible? All right. We got some good comments uh, from Jim tonight on the subject. He says uh, that this is the idea that one is a, uh, each one of us is born with sin. We inherit sin as a consequence of Adam's sin. It does not agree with the Bible. He references chapter uh, Romans chapter three verse twenty three for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says this idea of uh, Romans chapter three verse twenty three is that sin is an action. We have sinned past tense. We've committed some action uh, that causes us to be guilty. Not that we were born that way. He also references Ezekiel eighteen verse twenty, which was a principle given in the Old Testament: the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Uh, again, confirming the Bible doctrine that sin is an action, not something we're born with or inherit. You know, th- that's, uh, as you said, an Old Testament passage, but that'd still be pertinent today because if inherited sin was true, it was true of those in Old Testament times and continues is, is true of all the human race through all of history. If their doctrine of original sin is true, then that would have been true of, of men whenever born under the Old Testament law or under the New but under the Old Testament law, Ezekiel 18, I suppose if you had just one passage, you could only have one to make your argument from. I'd probably camp on Rome, on Ezekiel 18. But it's not the only one you have, obviously. There are plenty of passages that teach this is not a true concept. Yeah. Uh, listen to this a little more thoroughly from Ezekiel 18, verse 19. Yet say ye why? Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? He goes on to answer, when the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how you could state that any more plainly. That is very clear, that God doesn't view the idea that a son inherits sins of the father. Right. And that, that would be true of all the way back to our first original father, Adam. That's right. Another passage along Jim's wavelength here that sin is an action. First John chapter 3, verse 4, Whosoever uh, committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Again, it's not some state that you can be born in, and it's an action. Sin is a transgression of the law, so an infant as born hasn't done anything can't be guilty of transgressing the law. Yeah. Uh, other passages that uh, would come to mind. Matthew, one of the one of the passages I like to use is Matthew 18, when it talks about the qualities of a child being those that we need to possess yes. to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18:3, verily I say to you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 19, verse 14, Jesus said, Suffer, little children, forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Well, if they're depraved and lost in sin, that wouldn't harmonize with what Jesus said there at all. Yeah, absolutely. Why would you want to become like these people who are born totally depraved, totally uh, wicked, and totally uh, guilty of the original sin? Now, Another passage I like is Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, Paul's talking about the law. You've got to be careful when you read the law. You, you can't just assume it's any rules from God. I think in this case, he's talking about the law of Moses. Uh, what shall we say then is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. 
verse 8 of Romans chapter 7, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment procured in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law sin was dead. Notice verse 9 here. Paul says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul says he was alive once without the law. In other words, he was not spiritually dead. He was not, as the Catholics say, deprived of any grace. He was at one point in his life alive without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And now Paul never lived in which the law of Moses was not in. A, it was not under that dispensation. He was always he, the law of Moses was in effect when Paul was born, but yet he was not subject to that law when he was born until a certain point in his life, in which time he transgressed that law and he died. But he wasn't born in that condition. Uh, Romans chapter seven verse nine tells us that Paul was not born spiritually dead, spiritually deprived of grace. All right. Let me take let me take you to another Old Testament verse, Jacob. That emphasizes the idea we make a choice to sin. We don't inherit sin. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 7, beginning verse 15, Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Before a child can know to choose good over evil. Uh, well, that, that implies that... Uh, a certain level of maturity is required before that before that level is reached. Okay. So we're not born in sin. <clears throat> I suppose, Jacob, if there was a favorite verse that those who teach inherited sin, if there's a favorite verse they would use, it probably would be Psalm 51, verse 5. Yes. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we would point out is this is Hebrew poetry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to be careful about using passages like this to try and make literal conclusions. Now, sometimes right. you can, but you got to right. do that with some caution. Yep. Furthermore, a very basic rule of biblical interpretation is you can't put an, you can't put a meaning on one verse that would force it to be in contradiction with another plain verse. We, for instance, you can't put an interpretation on this that would force a contradiction with what we were reading in Ezekiel 18. Yep. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The son right. shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. So whatever, whatever pass, whatever you meaning you put on that passage, uh, it's got to be in harmony with these many other verses that we've just been referencing that say children are not born with the sins of their fathers. Yep. Um, what does this verse mean? Well, you got to well, look at it in context. Yeah. I mean, David is very distraught in this in this passage, and I think he's using some poetic license uh, in in the passage in verse four, for instance, against you, you only I, have I sinned. Well, that's not literally true. He obviously had sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba, uh, but he's 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 expressing this poetically. There's some poetic license. I, yeah, I think exactly right. Uh, I have a comment here from T.W. Brents. Some know that name, Brents, and the commentaries he, he made of the Bible. Here's what Brents said. Whatever may be the meaning of this passage, it cannot be the imputation of sin to the child. In sin did my mother conceive me. That is, she acted wickedly when, wickedly when I was conceived. Were the Here's some, a couple of parallels. Were the wife to say, in drunkenness my husband beat me, or if a child said that in anger my father whipped me, 
Surely no one would attribute drunkenness to the wife or anger to the child. Mm-hmm. Neither can they impute the sin of the mother to the child. Yeah. In other words, if I said, uh, in drunk, if, if, if a wife said, in drunkenness my wife, excuse me, in drunkenness my husband beat me. If a wife said that, would we impute the drunkenness to her? No. No. So when J- when David said, in in uh, how does he say it in the King James? In sin did my mother conceive me? I was shaping in iniquity. Well, that, that, that's not even a fair application of the verse as a standalone verse, much alone in the yeah. context of the scripture. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, and so, um, yes. So I, that, the passage does not uh, show us that uh, we, we are born in sin, uh, because we have so many other passages that uh, show us the contrary. Uh, Josh is in the chat room. He references Matthew 18, verse 3, that we should be like little children. Again, if the children are totally depraved and void of grace, we should obviously not be like them. Another verse, real quick. Well, We're time out of time. We're out of time. Well, let's, let's move on from that. Well, there's some other verses to reference, but uh, maybe we'll bring those up at another time. But I think we've addressed that first question about original sin. It's just not true to the Bible. Now, our point in all this is the Catholic Church teaches that. The Catholic Church is wrong about that. Yeah. I mean, just to put it as bluntly as we can. The Catholic Church teaches error on the on the doctrine of original sin. But now that error is going to translate into further error as we get on into the program and look at some of their other doctrines regarding sin. The next yeah. one we're going to talk about is immaculate conception. Yeah, that, those, and that's directly related to the idea of, of original sin. And for those who are not of a Catholic background, immaculate conception does not refer to Jesus in his conception, as you might think it would. Yeah, I, I, you, know, you know, I believe that for a long time, that immaculate conception meant that Mary conceived yeah. him in a special way. It's, yeah. That's not what it's yeah. talking it's about. Not, it's not another way to say miraculous conception, because yeah. that certainly was a miraculous conception. Yeah. And it would, I mean, you'd have to say, I mean, everything about it was immaculate, but it's not talking about Christ. So we'll not. talk about it on the other side of the break. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Will you let the fear of the world that has no love for you keep you from the fear of God who created you, loves you, and wants to bless you eternally? All of nature's works declare his praise. There is voice in every star, in every breeze a song. When you see a beautiful painting, praise the artist. When you hear a beautiful song, praise the composer. 
when you experience the beauty in nature, praise the Creator. Man, wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about the Catholic view of sin. Lots of errors we've, uh, we're going to uncover tonight in their view of sin. In the chat room tonight, Kevin is there. He says, it's interesting that this doctrine of original sin came from Catholicism, but is pervasive in most denominations. Once we uncover that this is untrue, we see the doctrine of the majority of those professing to be Christian is also false. And certainly, it is a very pervasive doctrine uh, throughout the religious world today. Uh, 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 Josh, I'm sorry, in the chat room says, uh, sin is based upon an individual that transgressed God's law. James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. Sin is an individual thing, so I'm responsible for my actions. How fair would it be if I had to answer for someone else's sins? Good point. But that's actually what they're saying. Uh, you're going to answer for, for Adam's sin, yeah, if, unless you do something about it. All right. Kevin uh, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, again, says uh, he references Numbers chapter 18, verses 13 through 16. He says, This verse appears to show that the firstborn are clean or good before God in sacrifice, both animals and and people, so this would tend to make the sacrifice of poor value if it was sinful. In Numbers 18, verse 13, the first fruit, ripe fruits of all that is in their land, they shall bring to the Lord, it shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that openeth the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption at the and their redemption price at a month old you shall redeem them you shall fix it five shekels and so he's saying if God wanted the sacrifice then it would have been a clean thing. In other words, why would he ask for a sacrifice of things that were polluted by original mm-hmm. sin? That's an interesting comment there. Okay. Um, he was uh, Kevin goes on. I will tell you that most Catholics do not understand immaculate conception of Mary versus Jesus either. All right, that's interesting. It leads us into the, the next uh, topic we want to talk about, and that is the idea of immaculate conception, and it is closely tied to this idea of original sin. Yeah, as I was saying before the break, uh, I for a long time I thought immaculate conception was that Mary did not have normal relations with a man to conceive Jesus. Yes. Therefore, it was an immaculate conception. That's not it. That's not it at all. That's why I think a lot of people believe. Uh, here, uh, Bertrand Conway, in, uh, who's a Catholic and wrote in the question box, he wrote, Mary's immaculate conception. This dogma asserts that the moment Mary's soul was infused into her body, she was sanctified by God's grace so that she was not stained with original sin, that is, Adam's sin, as it is transferred to us. Yes. So what was, the Immaculate Conception was that Mary didn't inherit the sin of Adam. Yes. Therefore, she was a sinless one able to bear the Savior. And, goes on, uh, she was preserved from the original sin so that she could bear the Savior. But, you know, they believed also she remained in this state yeah. her entire life. Our Blessed Mother's soul was created as, and that refers to Mary, of course, was created as pure and spotless as the soul of Eve, where Eve committed sin and lost her spotlessness, our Mother Mary kept herself pure and spotless to the end of her life. Now, this is a wonderful thing. Where in the Bible would I read that? How how would I know that? There's nothing in the Bible that addresses that top, side, or bottom. Well, 
it go I mean it, it contra it contradicts Romans three twenty three that Jim mentioned for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah. Why where does that exclude Mary? It certainly it, can't. Here, here's another here's another quote from Donald Atwater in the Catholic Dictionary. Quote the Immaculate Conception is the doctrine that our lady in, that's talking about Mary, in the first instant of her conception was by a unique singular grace and privilege of Almighty God in view of all mer- all the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, preserved, exempt from all stain of original sin. Yeah. So that's what that's what they're talking about when they talk about the Immaculate Conception. It's talking about Mary's situation, her condition, her spiritual condition that made her the one who could bear the Savior. So it's not talking about how she conceived Jesus. It talks about her spiritual status itself. And uh, of interesting note, the Catholics celebrate this uh, Immaculate Conception on December 8th of every year. Uh, I don't know if that's if they believe that's when the Immaculate Conception actually happened or if they just happened to choose December 8th as the day they wanted well, to Well, you might as well pick a date because you're picking everything else that like you want it. Because that, as Kevin says in the chat room, there isn't any scripture to support this doctrine. It's simply a tradition to, pro- to promote Maryism, which is really what the Catholics do. They worship Mary. They deny it. Remember, we've had, mm-hmm. we've had uh, a Catholic apologist with us, studying with us in the past on the virtual Bible study. And they're very adamant that they don't worship Mary, but, I mean, you can call it what you want, but it sure seems like worship. All right. They pray to other saints as well. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so, okay. All right. Uh, so what's wrong? So you, you asked the question, or we asked the question. Uh, Is the doctrine substantiated by the scriptures? The answer has to be absolutely no. I mean, there's I there's nothing. There's, yeah. there, of course, Back it up a step. As we've already said, there's nothing in the scriptures that would support the notion of original sin. This idea is based upon the notion of original sin. So the whole argument is based upon a false premise that men in, uh, that mankind inherits sins at birth through their parents. Through their so parents. so we got a problem. If 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 your parents are the ones who transfer this sin sin gene or the sin problem to you, well, Jesus had an earthly mother at least, and so we've got a problem with her transference, so we've got to break that chain somewhere. Well, he didn't have a father, so it couldn't come through the father, but the mother, that's a problem, so we got to break it out here and let's call her immaculately conceived. Well, it, but doesn't that seem phony? Why couldn't you just break the chain at Jesus or break the chain at Mary's mother or Mary's grandmother or somebody? Why, do you, why couldn't you? I mean, it just it seems so arbitrary. Uh, to do it this way, uh, as we said, original sin is not true. There's nothing in the Bible that would argue that Mary was different than any other child who was ever born. Uh, here's something interesting, Jacob. I found this quote. The idea of Mary and the Immaculate Conception was unknown in the early church. Here, yeah. here's a hand, This is from a handbook of the Catholic faith. Uh, uh, Compiled by, well, it gives the names of the authors, N.G.M. Van Dornick, S. Gelsma, and A. Van de Lisdach. Uh, the book has the imprimatur, the official endorsement of the Catholic Church. Notice what they said here. This point of doctrine. Now, when was this? This was published in 1956. Okay, go ahead. This point of doctrine, that is the Immaculate Conception, is not expressly dealt with anywhere in the Bible. Nor was it preached by the apostles, and for many centuries it was not mentioned at all by the church. 
You know when it was? Gradually, however, as the idea of the future dogma began to develop among the faithful, theologians submitted the point to the closest examination, and finally, the view then generally prevailing was formally pronounced as a dogma of the Church by His Holiness Pope Pius IX in 1854. Relatively recent history. Yeah. Certainly a long time took, after Mary was took 19 centuries. It took yeah. 19 centuries to figure that out. Of course, they're just dreaming it up. They're just making it out of whole cloth. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that would talk about that at all. All right, to Luke, I'm sorry, Josh references Luke 1, verses 46 and 47. Mary called God her Savior in verse 47. Sinless people do not need, are not in need of a Savior. That's an interesting point. Thank you, Josh, for that. And Kevin says this doctrine simply shows the Catholic willingness to promote tradition versus Scripture. Yeah. Again, it, uh, it does call us to the urgency to go back to the scripture to verify everything we believe. I thought that quote uh, about it not being known in the early church, uh, it, that guy writing in what the, the book was the the handbook of Catholic faith, he, he admits that the doctrine of immaculate conception is not taught anywhere in the Bible, that the idea was unknown to the apostles, it was, it was unknown to the church for many centuries, it, he said, he used the word, it evolved over time, and uh, it, it was only by an act of the, of the Catholic Church that it ever became a part of their established doctrine. Amazing. Uh, to, me that's, to me, that's just incredibly amazing how anybody could put confidence in such a, as that. That's one of the basic tenets, though, of the Catholic Church. And how you could have confidence in that when it's absolutely unsubstantiated in the Bible is just incredible to me. All right, let's go get a break and get uh, this week's bullet point. When we come back, now this sin, this doctrine of original sin, again, is pervasive in the denominational world, not just in the Catholic Church, but it leads to other doctrines that are false. We've talked about the doctrine of immaculate conception. Got to have that so you have Jesus born sinless as well. Now we've got to talk about the idea of infant baptism because we've got a problem. Babies are born very sinful uh, in this lost condition. It's not as big of a problem now as it would have been a few years ago, but babies can die. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, not too long ago, the mortality rate for infants was very high. And so Junior here is in the cradle. He might not make it through the night, but he's born a sinner We've got to do something about that. Exactly right. And so we've got infant baptism. We'll talk about that on the other side. Real, quick, real quickly, before we go to the break, Joe in West Virginia says, if one believes that the Pope is inspired, then all doctrines of the Popes through the ages would be perceived as on an equal part of the Holy Scriptures. Even in the Church, it is not uncommon for someone to argue a scriptural point by saying, well, that's what my preacher says. This is how we get indoctrination of the masses that are in the Catholic Church. I suppose that's that's a true observation as well, Joe. All right. Thank you, Joe, for that. Uh and uh, we need to uh, get a break. And when we get back, we'll take your thoughts. What about infant baptism S- supported by the scriptures? Is it ne- even necessary? Let us know your thoughts. Don't get anywhere. We'll be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Are you discouraged because you can't get someone to change? Maybe you've worked long and hard to teach someone what they should do to be saved, but they simply won't accept it. It's clear to you and to them that there are things amiss in their life, but they just won't commit to do what is right. Or it might be some erring brother in the church. You've struggled to convince him that he has sinned and needs to repent, but he steadfastly refuses to admit his sin and turn back to God. Surely these are discouraging situations. 
When we face these difficult scenarios, it should help us to remember that others before us have faced the same woes. In fact, when we hit a wall, so to speak, while trying to convert the lost or restore the erring, we're joining the good company of God's faithful servants through the ages. Their words certainly strike a familiar chord. For instance, from Psalm 10, verse 4, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in his thoughts. Jeremiah 5, verse 3, They have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Zechariah 7, verse 12, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the, and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent. Acts 7, verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Romans 2, verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So, from these verses, you see, your frustrations at being unable to change the ways of the unrepentant folks is not new. Others have endured the same things. The key is for us to stay committed to our task of faithfully serving God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back to the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you happen to have found us on iTunes or or some type of podcast receiver have never been to our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com is the address to use to find out more about us. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use to contact us at any time. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and that uh, that that podcast thing is easy to do and, you know, pretty amazing. If you don't get a chance to listen to the program live, just subscribe to the podcast, and that crazy thing will show up on your device all on its own. You don't even have to do anything. Yeah, we're crazy. In, we'll, we'll be in your phone without you even yeah. doing anything about it. Yeah. yeah. So check All right. It out. All right. Uh, guest 7255 in the chat room says, Mary didn't have to be sinless to carry Christ. Sin is passed down through man. I mean, Mary is very... Sin is passed. I'm not sure about that. Sin See, is- that, well, that's, another, that's another theory Since uh, that for those who believe in inherited sin is that, well... Mary, I want to believe in inherited sin, but I don't want to believe in this idea of immaculate conception. Well, I got another out. I'll just say that sins passed down through the male, from, from Adam to by, to male through the male. So Jesus had a father, so now the Jesus can be sinless. Yeah, I don't think that's taught either. No, it's I, not. I'm not sure if guest seventy two fifty five is arguing that or not. But anyway, he says Mary is very important part to the story of Christ coming to earth. We should admire her, but the emphasis that the Catholic Church puts on her shouldn't be the way it is. I will disagree with you that in fact they do not worship Mary. I have an aunt and uncle that are Catholic and have actually went to Mass one time ten years ago. I don't agree that Mary deserves to have such credit. It's hard to describe. It's hard to describe, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I know that they, they Catholics adamantly claim that they don't worship Mary. Uh, but when you can have idols constructed to her uh, and when you can say prayers to her, then... I mean, I, I, it, it's probably just a semantical difference. I call that worship. They don't. But what, whatever they do, I think, is undeserved and certainly not taught in the Bible. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Joe references Matthew eighteen two through 4 again, where the, we need to be converted to become as little children. Again, that would dispute the idea of inherited sin. Thank you for that, Joe. 
All right, let's go to this question. Uh, uh, Kevin's in the chat room on that, worshiping Mary. He said, I would disagree with you, guest 7255, regarding Catholics worshiping Mary. But they they do by their bowing to her statue, praying to through her and other points. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. And and, and seven, uh, guest 7255 says, hard to describe, but being around Catholics. Catholics help to understand the point of view, still unbiblical. I think that's the key right there, uh, unbiblical. All right. Uh, Josh, Josh, in a different Josh in the chat room says it goes back to the old saying that actions speak louder than words. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's right. I right. mean, you see what they do. You can call it whatever you want, but, it's, but you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a question of how you define worship, and I think what they're doing is defined by the Bible as worship. But yeah. that's, a, that's an argument for another time. Let's go on. The doctrine of original sin has led to the practice. This was question three we sent out today. The doctrine of original sin has led to the practice of infant baptism. Is infant baptism necessary? Is it, is it scriptural? Yeah. Uh, what about that? Well, again, it goes back to the idea children are born sinful. And uh, Jim, in the, his email, referenced the idea that uh, the Catholic Church practices infant baptism, pouring of water on the head of the baby, because believing in the doctrine of original sin they believe that each baby is born with sin. Should that baby die with sin, it will then go to limbo where it has no chance of going to heaven. Yeah, that, that's the, the doctrine of limbo is closely related to this, and we can talk about that. That's another one. Limbo, yeah. Oh. And it's not a game that you play on the roller with roller skates on. Uh, that's, a, that's a place where babies go uh, should they die with this sin. Uh, this... Reference this book by Bishop Morrow, uh, My Catholic Faith, uh, asked the question, when should children be baptized? Children should be baptized as soon as possible after birth. If possible, this should be done within a week. Uh, this practice, this in error says this practice dates from the apostles. Uh, certainly it doesn't. We don't see any reference to that in the scriptures. Uh, the book goes on, except when in danger of death, an infant should be not be baptized without the permission of a parent or guardian. So if it is in danger of death, then you could baptize it without the permission of the, of the parent or guardian. Um, and um, and it goes on and says, since infants who die unbaptized have committed no sins, but they're still guilty of the original sin, they live in a place of natural happiness called limbo. Catholics who put off for a long time or entirely neglect the baptism of their children put them in danger of losing heaven and the vision of God eternally. Although in limbo, infants enjoy complete natural happiness surpassing any on earth, such happiness can cannot compare with the bliss of heaven where souls see God face to face. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've read about that so many times. I've read about that limbo thing so many oh, times yeah. in my Bible. I yeah. mean, I, almost every page of the Bible talks about limbo. Yeah. Where in the world are they getting this stuff? Yeah. Why would anybody believe that? It's just not, it's nowhere in the Bible. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've, here, here's a um, Albert Taylor Bledsoe back in the 1800s. He was a, 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 a Methodist, but carried this same notion that the Catholics do. He says, it, it, concerning infant baptism, he said, It is an article of our faith that the baptism of young children or infants is in any wise to be retained in the church as most agreeable to the institution. In other words, we believe we should do it. We should retain it. We should keep this practice. But notice this. But yet, with all our searching, we have been unable to find in the New Testament a single expressed declaration or word in favor of infant baptism. That's what the, that's what the Catholic Church is no, saying? No, this was a Methodist. Oh, uh, Methodist. Okay. But no. it believes in the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. He, he admits it's not in the Bible. It's, it's nowhere in the Bible. The first hint of infant baptism came in the second century A.D. Irenaeus, uh, a religious leader in southern Gaul or France, declared, quote, He, Christ, came to save through means of himself all who come to him. All who come to him are born again unto God, infants, children, boys and youths, and old men. Uh, that's in the rather well-known work Against Heresies. Arrhenius in the second century mentioned those who come to him born again, including infants. But that wasn't in the first century. At this, in the same time period, another well-known writer, Tertullian, opposed this. He said, let them come while they're growing up. Let them come while they are learning, while they are being taught to do what it is that they are coming to do. Let them become Christians when they are susceptible of the knowledge of Christ. What haste to procure the forgiveness of sins for the age of innocence. Let them first learn to feel their need of salvation so that it may appear that we have given to those that want it. So it was a, it, it, even in the second century, it, it began to be suggested, but even then it was being debated. It wasn't true in the, in the first century church that they baptized infants. All right. Uh, Jim says infant baptism is not scriptural because, number one, babies are not born with sin. Number two, baptism is to be administered to those who are sinners and believe that Jesus is the Christ, have confessed him as Christ, have repented of the sins they themselves have committed. None of these can be done by a baby. And so Jim concludes that it is not scriptural. Yeah, we can make the arguments that it's not it's not necessary, but we can also make the arguments that they wouldn't be qualified for baptism because think, of things that need to proceed. I think that's probably the best way to to address this. Okay, let's let's just forego the question of original sin. Let's say that infants do have sin. Let's you know we already proved that that's not true. But if you were grant if you were to grant that, what do you have to do to be forgiven of sins? Right. Well, you have to believe. Uh, you know. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's rewarded them. You've got to believe. How do you, how do you believe? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Babies can't hear with comprehension the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So they can't hear. They can't believe. They can't confess. Romans ten ten says with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. They can't confess, and they can't repent. Luke 13, Luke, uh, 13 3, except if you repent, you shall all likewise perish. They can't do any of the prerequisite things that are required for scriptural baptism. So if they had sin, which they don't, but if they did, they couldn't be forgiven of sin. They can't do the things that are required as necessary prerequisites to baptism. All right. Uh, let's hear your thoughts. Uh, Monty, you've been quiet tonight. Anything so far? Uh, no, y'all are covering this real okay. well. Are, are we putting you to sleep? Yeah, <laughs> that's a danger. we got to be aware of that. But, but the other thing, we didn't even talk about this. Sprinkling for baptism. Yeah. Well, don't don't forget that the act itself they're not, is they're either, not uh, they're not immersing. They're not infants. baptizing. They're sprinkling, and yeah. sprinkling is not baptism. So I mean, the whole thing is wrong from the get go. Um, you know, if you were to ask Catholics to defend the practice of infant baptism, you know, one of their best defenses of that uh, is that a couple instances where whole households of people were baptized. For instance, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas taught the Philippian jailer, it says they took he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. So the argument, which really to me seems like such a weak argument, in any given household there could be a baby. There yeah. might have been a baby in the household of the Philippian jailer. Therefore, this 
might be a case of infant baptism. But in this instance, we know that it's not because the verse right before that says, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So everybody in that man's house was old enough to be taught. Um, and then verse 34, after they were baptized, he brought them to his house, set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. In this man's house, everybody was old enough to be taught and old, everybody was old enough to believe. There were no infants in the household of the Philippian jailer. Money. You know, if you just took, say, the average household in the, here at the church at College View, I would estimate that probably 75% of the households in this congregation do not have infants in them. Yeah. Uh, it may be higher than that, but there's a great number of them. So if you were just going to pick a random household, for example, just randomly, there's a good chance, very, very good chance you're going to pick a household with no infants. I want to tell you, if that's the, if that's the best defense I can give, I'm in bad shape. Yeah. If I don't have a better argument of what maybe could have been, not stated, but possibly was so, if that, if I'm basing a, a, a very basic practice of the church upon what might have been so, but I don't know for sure that it was so and can't prove that it was so, I got a weak position. All right. Let's take a break. When we get back, we've got a couple more of these false ideas of sin to address. That first of those being the idea of venial sin and mortal sin. The Catholics have two different categories of sin. And then we'll talk about their view of how you get forgiven of these sins. We want to talk about that. We'll go to the top of the hour after this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only if you have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. A recent survey finds that, quote, active conservative Protestants, unquote, who attend church regularly are 35% less likely to divorce than those who have no religious preference. Nominal Christians, however, and that's those who simply call themselves Christians but do not actively engage with the faith, are actually 20% more likely than the general population to get divorced. That information is via Christianity Today. The Word of God says in Matthew 15, verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program, going to the top of the hour, talking about the Catholic view of sin and some of the errors associated with it. Lots of discussion about the infant, uh, the tra- inherited sin, original sin concept. Joe in West Virginia says, what is sin? Is sin not the violation of Christ's law? How can an infant be aware of any law at all? And how can justification be had for him? Baptism. I agree. I agree. And Josh says, if we all have an innate will towards sin, then how can Jesus' life be explained? He references Matthew or Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen, where Christ was tempted at all points, like as unto us, yet without sin. So, in other words, if, we, it, if Jesus we, didn't in, inherit this innate inclination to sin, that you can. but but he was tempted. How could he be tempted if he wasn't even like us in that sense? Okay. I think that's the point Josh made. 7255 says, kind of off topic, but the one thing I admire about the Pope is that he is able to stand up to Obama and to others and isn't afraid to say that the life, that life starts at conception and gay marriage is wrong. Anybody that... Uh, yeah, that's true. And I've always sort of appreciated the Catholics because I felt like we had common ground in that in those... But I feel like they're equivocating on both of those things. I think this Pope... And and uh, is is given some mixed messages on these things. All right, he says anybody that or he or she says anybody that could has that kind of status or near close to that and is able to stand up for something like that has some good courage. On infant baptism, it amazes me how many denominations practice practice infant baptism. It's all about free will and the desire to repent. A small infant has no concept of that. All right, and uh, Kevin and Kevin, who's a, uh, was raised a Catholic, said he hadn't heard that argument about household baptism. Maybe other denominations, uh, but he said I have heard many more defend the practice just because it's a tradition of the church, and of okay. course they do do that. All right, now the Catholics teach their different kinds of sin. This is interesting that uh, there's there's two different there's different types of sin: uh, a venial sin and a mortal sin. Now again, if you've just been reading your Bible, you might hear those terms and say. What in the world is that about? Uh, yet the the, um, uh, the Catholics uh, teach this idea that there's two different types of sin. Venial sin is the one you want to commit if you um, if you're going to commit a sin. You want to do one of these venial sins. Uh, the in his book My Catholic Faith, Bishop Morrow says venial sin is a less serious offense against the law of God, which does not deprive the soul of sanctifying grace and which can be pardoned even without sacramental confession. You can sin a venial sin in two ways, when the evil done is not seriously wrong. Yeah. If we sin against God in matters of slight importance... Oh, this is just a little thing. This is a little thing. If it's just slight importance, we're committing venial sin. For instance, grumbling when told by your mother to open the window is not gravely wrong. It's a venial sin. Oh. Here's another way you can commit a venial sin. When the evil done is seriously wrong, but the sins, but the sinner sincerely believes it is only slightly wrong, or does it on the spur of the moment without sufficient reflection or without full consent of the will. For instance, stealing an expensive diamond ring is seriously wrong, but if the sinner took it in the belief that it was only a cheap imitation, the sin had not <laughs> full consent and is venial. If one eats meat on a day of abstinence, thinking it only a slight sin to do so, or if one, in a sudden outburst of anger, insults a companion seriously, he commits a venial sin for lack of sufficient reflection and consent. Wow. Yeah. So that's a venial sin. Boy, we just, Monty, we just kind of get to make up our rules as we go. 
It's a good religion, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sort of like almost a blank check, isn't it? You know, yeah. I didn't think it was a bad. I didn't think I stole your car, but I didn't think it was. A, I didn't I think didn't it was think really bad. Mind. I didn't think it was I bad. I thought it was a cheap car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I didn't know Ferraris cost that much. <laughs> now mortal sin, though, that's the one you want to stay away from. Mortal sin is a grievous offense against the law of God. Any willful thought, desire, word, action, or omission in, in serious violation of God's law is a mortal sin. Examples of mortal sin are blasphemy, willful murder, adultery, arson, robbery, etc. Mortal sin occurs as soon as God is no longer our final end in our thoughts, words, and actions. Each mortal sin we commit is a threefold insult to Almighty God. It insults Him by rebellion or disobedience, by ingratitude, and by contempt. And a, a mortal sin is one of those sins that will send you to hell. Yeah. I found a I found a little blog uh, by a Catholic blogger uh, that that actually gave a list. There was a list of what he thought were mortal and venial sins. But he says in order for a sin to be a mortal sin, as you were just reading, Jay, it must be a serious matter or believed to be serious mm-hmm. by the offender. Mm-hmm. Number two, before the sin, a person must have been mindful of the serious wrong, have reflected on the gravity of the situation with sufficient reflection beforehand. I had to know ahead of time. Right. I had to sort of think about it, do it on purpose, basically. Yeah, right. And then third, a person must have freely chosen to commit the sin with the full consent of free will in spite of possible coercion. So that's what it would take to be a mortal sin. A venial sin, he says, other lesser matters are venial sins and are not required to be confessed in confession. Yeah. However, it's a good and pious thing to confess venial sins to lessen your time in purgatory. All right, yeah. So venial sins will send you to purgatory, but not to hell. But uh, you just have to spend some time there before you can go yeah, on to, to hell. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, he says uh, there are even lesser imperfections. In other words, there are some things that are not even venial sins. They're just imperfection. Yeah. The, the lesser imperfections are not sins at all, uh, but are sometimes difficult to distinguish between them and venial sins. Yeah. All right. The Catholic Church has what they call the seven deadly sins. You ever seen that yes, list? Yeah. Seven deadly sins of the Catholic Church. Anger, uh, envy, gluttony, greed, pride, sloth, lust. Mm-hmm. Seven, seven deadly sins for the Catholic Did you know that Pope Benedict the 16th in March of 2008 added an eighth deadly sin? He did. Yeah, now there's eight deadly sins, not seven. They always had seven. Now they have eight. These seven things to this Catholic Church, yay, eight, are <laughs> deadly, yeah. Now, you know what he added? What? Excessive wealth. Excessive wealth. Excessive wealth is a deadly sin now for Catholics. Okay. Um, all right. Um, Phil responds to this and says, regarding uh, this, the Catholic Church cites 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, as proof, and that is the verse that say there's a, that says there's a sin not leading to death, and that we shouldn't. And there is a sin to death. It leads to death. Uh, but he, now, and he, I think that's a good verse to read. First uh, John chapter five, uh, verse sixteen. If a man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Mm-hmm. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Right. So that's the they, they like that verse. Yes, they do. Uh, but again, that's not teaching that uh, you can commit some sins and you won't go to hell. 
Yeah, Phil goes on to explain that, that in the same epistle, in 1 John 1, 7 and 9, explains that confessed sins are forgiven, thus they are not sins unto death. A sin unto death is one that's not forgiven. Sins that, are, that we repent of and confess are forgiven, therefore they're not sins unto death. Yeah. No, and so what, first, what John is saying there in 1 John chapter 5 is don't pray for the brother who sinned a sin unto death. Why is it a sin unto death? Because he won't confess it and repent of it. There's no use if you sin, Jacob, but you refuse to confess it and repent. There's no use me praying for you about that to be forgiven, because yeah. you're not going to be forgiven yeah. until you repent and confess. Yeah. So it's a sin unto death until you choose to do otherwise. All right. And uh, you know this distinction and these lists. I we don't read them anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible, Monty, do I see where certain sins are said. Well, this is a real bad sin, and this is not a so bad sin. Uh, that distinction is not made anywhere in the scriptures. I guess it's up to the, the popes to decide which ones fall in which category. Yeah, the Bible teaches that all sins have equal consequence. Any sin that we do, no matter whether we would personally as humans classify it as a big one or a little one, they, they're separating us from God and they're going to cause us to be lost eternally if we don't confess them and repent of them. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a, we might want to spend more time on another program because we're not going to have time to go in a whole lot more depth about that tonight. We're just about out of time. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns man away from God by preferring an inferior good to God himself. Venial sin allows charity to subsist, though it offends and wounds it. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, that might be worth some deeper investigation, but... My basic question would be in regards to that, where do I get that distinction? Where do I, where am I? You know, they, they do have a few proof texts, and that's why I say maybe we needed to pay a little more time on that subject in a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. They've got some other proof texts. I think their favorite one is there in 1 John chapter 5, but I don't, I don't see that breakdown. Sin is violation of the law. Yeah. First John 3, verse 4. All right, lots of things to talk about. We haven't gotten into the idea of uh, how sins are forgiven in the Catholic Church, but... Uh, Kevin uh, says, um, let's see, uh, Josh says, my parents didn't consider disobedience venial at all. That would have been convenient. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, come on. Light That's up. just a little thing. Why not, Mom and Dad? This isn't going to send me to hell. Yeah. Uh, guest 7255 says, it's also worth noting that we need to remember that families affected by the shooting, oh, yeah, we need to remember the families affected by the shooting in Oregon today. Okay, good. Certainly a tragedy. Thank you for that. Uh, Kevin says, what I experience with most, most, most Catholics is that venial sins are things I commit, minor, but would point to others that commit mortal sin as serious. So it's, it's venial if I do it, it's mortal if you do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, let's see here. Um, um, yeah, Kevin, Joe, Joe says, I uh, found that in the church there are some concepts that, yeah, I think Joe's right. Sometimes we make the same mistake of arguing that there's big sins and little sins, or at least thinking so, and yeah. the Bible does not support that. Yeah, Josh says even little white lies have a place in the lake of fire. Certainly they do. Uh, and so we've got to be aware that the, the, the Bible doesn't make the, these distinctions. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, finally, what does the Catholic Church about be, uh, teach about forgiveness of sins? We just got a, a couple of minutes here, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, s- of course, they say baptism takes away inherited sin, and any sin that you might have committed before you're baptized, of course, they baptize babies, so babies don't have any personal sins, but if you were baptized later in the Catholic Church, you might have some personal sins in addition to the ones that you inherited. Baptism would take care of those, 
But for sins committed after baptism, it says, a different sacrament is needed. It has been called penance, confession, and reconciliation. Each word emphasizing one of its aspects. Um, Since Jesus would not always be with the church, Christ gave the power to other men to forgive sins, which is the continuation of his presence throughout time. They would be able to offer forgiveness to future generations. He gave his power to the apostles, and it was a power that could be passed on to successors and agents since the apostles wouldn't always be on earth either. People would still be sinning. Uh, and so uh, they say that Jesus passed. But but the idea is to be forgiven of sins, especially mortal sins. I, I don't have to confess venial sins to the priest, but i got to confess mortal sins to the priest, and he extends forgiveness to me. That's right. I have to do it to the to an authorized priest for the uh, the purpose of obtaining forgiveness. And it is so, unless the priest knows, he can't decide whether he should forgive or retain our sins. It's the priest who's doing the forgiving yeah. and who's deciding not to forgive based upon yeah. this confession. So yeah. the priest stands between me and forgiveness. And, no, they, no, and where do we read that? And where do we read anything like that in the scriptures? Yeah. All right. And there's some uh, rules on how to make a good confession. We don't have time. To, I would like to get into those. Some rules on how you make a good confession. Real, real quickly, uh, Jim, and uh, the former Catholic, uh, the, our friend from Kentucky, says, uh, once, a member, once, once one is a member of the Catholic Church, they receive forgiveness when they go to confession. This is the act of privately confessing one's sins to a priest who acts as the living agent of Jesus Christ. A priest is the living representative of Christ on earth. Catholics are taught that when you confess to the priest, you're confessing to Christ. One can only obtain forgiveness when they confess their sins to a priest and receive abs- absolution which is the action of obedience demanded by the priest, often saying prayers. In other words, he'll tell you what you've got to do. You've got to do something to pay the price. Say 200 Hail Marys or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the priest will give the penitent several prayers to say, after which they are told their sins will have been forgiven. It was the action of absolution that led me on the path to leaving the Catholic Church. While I was stationed in the Air Force in Turkey back in the mid-1970s, I was on temporary duty from my normal Air Force base to an area near Istanbul. Although the Air Force... Although in the Air Force we were billeted at a small army base, uh, there was no fighting in any area. This army base was located in an area which at one time had some fighting, so technically it was a potential war zone. And therefore the chaplain, a Catholic priest, was at liberty to provide absolution without the confession. He would gather those who wanted forgiveness together, and after saying a prayer and making the sign of the cross, he would announce that all were absolved of their sins. We did not have to confess anything privately to him. It was quite... It was quite over with in a matter of seconds. After my temporary duty was over and I returned to my normal Air Force station, I was required to go back to the confessional and confess my sins to the priest. I asked, why was this so? Why was it possible to absolve me one way when I was 100 miles in the other direction, but not able to use the same means now that I was back in my regular base? I received no satisfactory answer except that it was part of Catholic doctrine. This was something that made no sense and seemed unreasonable to me, and because of this I began my search for the truth of the Bible. That's interesting, Jim. I think a story that would be repeated over and over again where the rules seem to change as deemed necessary. Thank you, Jim, for that. Uh, Kevin says forgiveness is only found in the confession booth for Catholics. Uh, However, the percentage of Catholics using the confession booth is very small amongst them. Uh, Not a very popular place to be, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's right. All right. Well, it's been a good discussion. Again, not to – well, we don't want to be ugly – or a bashing of Catholics. Certainly we don't. Um, no, and there are. And we have had participation of sincere, devoted Catholics on the Virtual Bible Study in the past. But we just would say, 
you've got to be honest to the scriptures, and so much of what they're teaching there is not confirmed in the scriptures. I mean, if you want to go by tradition and by what men have said, then certainly you can be a Catholic. But if you want to go by what God has said and, and make sure you have authority from him, you've got to do what he says in the scriptures, and you have to forsake these man-made doctrines and traditions. I think that's right. All right. Certainly it is uh, important that we examine these false doctrines to understand uh, what they are about and to can verify that, uh, that what we believe is correct. We think that the, the Catholic Church is wrong in a lot of areas with regards to sins. We haven't covered all of the things we could talk about tonight, but it's been a good discussion. Monty, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you, Jacob. It's an honor. Dad, thank you for your time. Tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being a part of the program. Hope you've benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word in the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.